Hi everyone, welcome to the Talk Birdie to Me podcast. Golf courses in Ireland reopened yesterday thankfully and I was fortunate enough to get a play around yesterday and this morning. So I did a lot of walking left and right, lost a lot of golf balls along the way. But you know what, it was great fun and it was great to get out of the house for a few hours. So if you are one of the lucky ones that lives within 5 kilometers of your course, where have you been teeing it up or how did you find your first round back? Also, the Talk Birdie to Me Challenge kickstarted yesterday and we were blown away by the interest and the level of entries, ranging from young people to older golfers. We've also had very kind donations from a number of people with regards to prizes and we're just looking for one final push for if anyone could donate a few more before we release the full list on Friday as we do have so many junior entries and it would do so much for them if they get to play some competitive golf and get a nice prize on the line. So it could be anything from a box of Titleist Pro V1s or as far as your imagination can bring you but we would love if we could add a few more prizes and help out those juniors in their development on the golf course. And now to today's chat with star golfer Ronan Malarney. Ronan talks about his journey in the game from representing Minute for five years, winning around Ballybunion last year in such great fashion, and how life on tour has been since he turned professional last October. So without further delay, here is that chat with Ronan. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're joined by professional golfer Ronan Malerny. How are you keeping, Ronan? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Shane. Ah, no water at all. Thank you for coming on. Are you playing any golf in the garden or are you staying away from it at the moment? Uh, no, I'm trying to do a little bit. I'm lucky enough in that um, Dad has like purpose-built cabin at our house out the back. So he gives lessons there and has done for maybe the last, I don't know, say, nearly 10 years, I'd say. So he is cameras, nets, mats, things like that, putting systems to, to practice indoors. So I'm looking enough that way. And you talk about your dad being a coach and he has coached you from a young age. What am or what impact has he had on you and how does that benefit your game having a coach so close to home? Yeah, it is it is good. I was talking about this to someone last week. It is good, but I think you might find out yourself or you might know yourself that it is sometimes hard taking advice from your dad. So if <laughs> someone knew what dad knew and was just wasn't a relative of me it might, might actually be easier but no it, it is good because he obviously isn't just invested in me for um to shoot a score or just to get money out of me he kind of it's more i suppose a holistic approach a bit, bit of everything so he always has a keen eye and we had cattle butler on recently and he mentioned how he was mad into the analytical side of the game because you were able to ask your dad so many questions do you find that you get invested in that side of the game also yeah yeah, and I, I loved living with Carl for three or four years. Three years, anyway. Three years. Carl's in the three years. I loved living with Carl because I think we think about it fairly similar. So we'd always be bouncing questions off on that. And have you found that you know your swing inside out in the last decade? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Um, I kind of I'd kind of break it down. So maybe not usually this time of year, but when you wouldn't be playing competitive golf, I'd look at my swing a good bit. But then when uh, competition starts I wouldn't be doing a huge amount maybe the odd if I had two or three weeks off but that's that's even rare enough so um, generally when it's time to play I play and you talked there about living with Cahill for a number of years so you went to Minute University how was that experience for you? Yeah I loved it I loved it I took a year out after I did the Leaving Cert so I was 19 when I started in Minute I didn't do a transition year so 19 starting in Minute and I was there for there for five years I did a master's there as well so uh, no I loved it I loved it I was really happy and that year out after your leaving cert was that full-time golf or were you working for the year 
Um, yeah, so I did the leaving search, played a summer of men's golf, didn't go great. Then September, no, October 1st, I got a job in Quinta de Lago, Portugal, and I worked part time. And then I got free use of the, the range and the uh, practice facilities there. So I loved having Dublin, one of the lads from my golf clubs. And then you came back and you've had great success uh, with, as a team with Galway. And you won the Senior Cup in 2017 and you re- achieved that feat again in 2019. How great is it to experience uh, success with a team? Yeah, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. I was only one other time. No, I won the Senior Cup in 2015 or 16. And we won the boys home internationals. Um, so it, it's rare enough. I suppose I can kind of lucky enough to think of it like that. But it's rare enough to be playing on a team such an individual sport. So, no, it was brilliant. But definitely those days with Manute, that's when I turned pro in December. That's one of the kind of, uh, that's one thing I really miss. I really enjoyed that time. Being part of that team with Galway and then that team with Manute, was that your first team experience or did you play other sports growing up? I played soccer a lot, but I would have stopped when I was probably 14 I still have a huge interest in soccer but yeah just you just wouldn't have the time with uh, with the golf but no I, I love soccer still do and how would you say it aided your development that your own individual success coincided with the team success with the senior cup yeah well when I was playing senior cup with Galway I always felt a huge pressure like as much probably more pressure in that than anything else I've played in because I think Carl mentioned in one of his podcasts as well. Um, you're not just playing for yourself. But I think on top of that, I would have been one of the lower handicaps and um, definitely not towards the end. We had a really, really strong team, but maybe the first couple of years that I would have played Senior Cup, I kind of felt that the first two, three, four were really good. And maybe we might have been lacking maybe one player, or two players at the back. I felt I really needed to win or we were going to struggle. So, it was kind of a, an added pressure there, which I can only assume helped me. And as an individual, you had great success. And kind of since 2015, you've had an individual win every year. And that started off in the Mullingar Scratch Trophy in 2016. That was your first big win in men's golf. How nice was it to get over the line? Mullingar, yeah. Um, it was open week in Galway that week. And I lost, I think I lost maybe a shot and a half for my handicap. So it was maybe plus three playing that event. I think this fellow was playing really well. And uh, I always stay with a friend from college there. So it's kind of like a holiday when I go up there anyway. So it's brilliant both on and off the course, but obviously even better to win. And after that win there in men's golf, and then you had quite a number of individual successes representing Minute in the Sterling Invitational in Scotland, the Fife Tournament and the RNA Scholars event. How nice was it uh, to achieve success over or across the pond? Yeah, that was brilliant. It's a, it's a different feeling because I know you, we travel over there as a team, so it's not as bad. but like you'd have no one watching you that well not too many people watching anyway but you're not really playing with people you know um and it's just a different feeling when when, when in abroad so no it was brilliant it was different um courses i didn't at the start i didn't know too well i get to know them quite well because you end up playing them again and again years you're there but uh, no it's delighted delighted. and on back-to-back weeks you won the irish students amateur open and the rna scholars event in st andrews how do you find that to pick yourself up for the second week in a row to keep going and kind of maintain that confidence and drive to get over the line? Yeah, well, I I had that win in the bursaries event. That was, yeah, that was my fourth year in college. I practiced, I was doing a part-time master's at the time. 
and we didn't have very many lecture days. We might have had maybe one, we had maybe I think two full days every month, and all the rest was assignments, and uh, we did thesis at the end of it. But at that time, um, it was very quiet in college, so I was full time golf, and I worked. I practiced as hard as I've ever practiced for that event because I knew the course so well, St Andrews. So I felt I could have a, if I, uh, I'd have a really good chance of doing well there. And uh, I was lucky enough to win that. I was live with that because he made the Palmer Cup through that. And then we teed off the first round in Tralee was where the students was. And I was playing with two lads I knew from college. And one of them goes to in the first tee. said, it's awful hard to win two in a row. <laughs> so that, that really got to me. So, uh, so uh, that was good motivation. You know, I was something like seven over through nine in that first round. But um, no, I played better from there on. So um, no, I was live with that. And would you say you're someone that you don't get off to a fast start? Do you struggle for the rest of the round? Or do you find it easy to switch on after a few ho- few tough holes? Sometimes I need that, Shane, I think. I was looking at a few of my scores there recently. Not always, but sometimes. Oh, I start in reverse. That was a good example there. I was, I think I was seven over through 10. I could have been eight over through 10. Um, so I do that. I wouldn't say often, but there's a couple of times it kind of shakes me up a little bit. So um, no, I don't find it too hard to shake, but don't know necessarily what it is. But yeah, I want to get rid of that. And following on from your success in St Andrews in the ORNA Scholars event, uh, you were guaranteed your place on the Palmer Cup in 2018 in France. How nice was that to get kind of worldwide, or excuse me, worldwide recognition and represent the international side? Yeah, that was that was. Yeah, no, without shadow that, that was the best event I was ever a part of. And they they make a huge fuss over it. And it was in the Evian Resort in France. There was some team like Victor Hobbin was on that team on the international side. Matthew Wolf and Colin Morikawa was on the US team. Yeah, it was really cool. There's some seriously good players playing that week. And the ladies were there. I played with Chloe Ryan. Uh, no, it was brilliant from start to finish. I loved it. And how nice was that to pick up a point with Chloe, someone from the same country, and the two of you representing Ireland? Yeah, that was brilliant. I'm sure Chloe won't mind me saying, but that match was so, so bad. Oh my God. We were so bad. And to be honest, I think most, that was mostly me. <laughs> we were shocking. Lucky enough, the, the two we were playing weren't, weren't that good either on the day. But um, no, it was. I was delighted to get a point. We played much better the day before, and uh, that was forced. We played the day before was four ball. We played way better. We were beating on seventeen. So um, I suppose that's the way it goes sometimes. And bringing you into twenty nineteen, before we get to that big win in the Irish Close, you shot a sixty two course record in Ross's Point. How nice was that? You know, an individual accolade, and you finished fifth that week. But just to know that you can get extremely hot and shoot the big results. Yeah, that was good. Um, it was funny. I played the West was obviously on in losses as well, and that was maybe four or six weeks beforehand. And I think in a competition, that was the best I ever hit the ball, but I wouldn't have put it in a bucket. <laughs> Shocker. Um, but I hit the ball really well. I was really comfortable with how I was hitting it. And then from there on, it was kind of it wasn't too bad. But then coming to the amateur, I wasn't um, as happy with my game. So. It wasn't necessarily smoke and mirrors, but I was definitely surprised I shot something like that. Um, but I'd imagine maybe looking back on it, that's maybe why I tapered off a little bit um, because I, I didn't necessarily go there with the same feeling I did in, say, Mullingar or say the close a couple of years later, a few months later. Um, but no, it was brilliant. It was brilliant to shoot that score. So 
you remind the lads in Sligo that my name's up in the wall there. <laughs> and then bringing you into the Irish close on Ballybunion. So you started off in such hot form and you won the silver medal for the second year in a row with rounds of 65 and 68. So how nice was it to hit the ground running that week and know that your game was in good shape? Mm. It, was, it was funny, Shane. It was exactly the same as Mullingar. Uh, it was open week in Galway that week and it was actually the final of the club match play. And um, like I was saying earlier in the interview, that the standard players in Galway Golf Club now is, I think there's, there could be 15 players of one and lower. Um, so it's really, really good. And I was in the final in, in that against Stephen Brady. So I had three stroke play rounds and one match play round before I went down to the close. Like I couldn't ask for better preparation. So um, I felt again I was I was playing quite well. So I was up forward to playing. And he just mentioned there. So before you won a Mullingar, you'd open week, which was kind of a hectic schedule leading up to it. And again in Ballybunion. So you don't think you get over golf, then it's a case of a lot of golf in the preparation really helps you. Yeah, um, you could say that, but there's been there's been loads of times where I've played maybe say an event abroad, say the Lydon Trophy and okay, the Lydon might be a St. Andrew's Trophy or something and then you'd go straight into an Irish event when you come home and I might necessarily have done that well but because I know Galway so well I'd be comfortable, I kind of know where I have more room for error on one side than the other um, and if I'm playing decent golf, there's probably a better chance that you do a decent score so I might feel I'm playing better than I am so it's kind of nearly a boost of confidence going down there. And it's not often that someone wins a silver medal at the close and goes on to win it. You're the first since Cormac Sharvin to do it. Did you feel added pressure or higher confidence going into the match play knowing that you had the silver medal in the bag? You know, I completely forgot about it. You know, I won the silver medal the year previous which was nice but no one ever remembers that. And I said that in one of the interviews that I think Brian Kill was asking me or something. It's, it is brilliant. I was, I was happy she had scores but it's completely irrelevant if you don't win. So um, I made sure that I honestly went, I completely forgot I won the silver medal. Um, it was only that someone said that you had won the year previous as well. So um, it's great looking back on it. But like I said, if I didn't win, it wouldn't have mattered. You talked there or was in the interviews after the win that you were openly going to admit that you really wanted to get one of those big six events. How big was it to get over the line in the close? And you know, it's one of the, the biggest amateur events in the country. Yeah, uh, I suppose that was more. Yeah, that was more of a personal thing than something. Um, I kind of I had never really been all that close. I lost two quarterfinals in the north, um, and I always felt that was my best chance to win. I really liked the golf course in Port Rush, but we always seem to miss it for one reason or another. Whether I'm playing an event abroad or a team event, or I think Palmer Cup clash for one year. Um, so the quarterfinal I was beaten by the winner twice, but I'd never got past the quarterfinals. So, um. Like, yeah, that kind of annoyed me. So I was more just, I don't know, I suppose I was happy but relieved at the same time. And reflecting on that win, so when you look at student leaderboards during your time in the minute, you were always competing at the top, you were always in contention. You mentioned there the North that you felt it was your best chance and you were getting to the quarter final. What changed to allow you to compete in men's golf and start picking up those big wins? Yeah, well, like I said, the first year I played men's golf after boys was a struggle for me. I was, I did not play well at all. I don't know, did I make, I may have made one cut. It was really poor. I didn't play well at all. And even in a couple of the practice rounds, I, I played really well. I remember, I think one year I shot 66 or something in Port Rush in a practice round. But I was, I think I shot 80 the, the next day I played the Valley the day after um, on the same course. So I don't, it was probably, 
it was definitely a little bit physical, but it was probably a lot mental. I, I kind of made a bigger deal out than what it was, really. So that took a little while to get, get used to. But yeah, I suppose just experience playing it, really. And at the end of last year, you turned to the paid ranks. But do you think that players need to pick up one of those big established amateur events before they make that leap? No, I don't think so. I think you definitely need to be um, contending. There, thereabouts. Probably more important in stroke play than match play. But I think even in saying that, like if you look at any of the lads who've done really well, they've been contending nearly all of them. I know Sharvin did, Paul Dunn did, Rory obviously did, Rory won everything. So um, I think you need to be there, thereabouts. But sometimes winning takes a bit of luck. So I wouldn't necessarily say you need to win as such. And you talked there about competing in, or contending in stroke play. And you won Mullingar, which was all stroke play. You won the close, which was predominantly match play. Which format do you prefer? Stroke play. Definitely. Definitely stroke play, yeah. <laughs> that brings us into our next question, which was going to be all match play, where you had the chance to represent Ireland in the home internationals. How was that experience for you? And what did you learn from being part of such a, a good and high-class team? Yeah, it was brilliant. So the first year was Con- Conway, I think. Am I right in saying that? Conway? Yeah. Conway, sorry. Conway, Wales. Um, yeah, that, that was brilliant. And then the second year, obviously, was in La Hinch. La Hinch was, I think La Hinch could have been in the best condition of course I've ever played because obviously the Irish Open was there that year. It was incredible. And they loved their golf down there. Now, I really struggled on that golf course, but I played, played quite well that week. I was happy enough, but um, yeah, it was an incredible condition. Brilliant. And you have that team atmosphere in La Hinch, and then you went on to Q School by yourself. Did you miss that? And how did you find the travelling to that by, or you know, on your own, you were now a one-man team? Yeah, I'm fairly okay. I'm fairly okay with my own company. When I was, before I would have been on any of the panels, going to any of the places abroad, I would have done a lot of the travelling. Maybe not necessarily by myself, a couple of times by myself, but um, no, I'm fairly okay with my own company. Um, you have to do it when you're practicing anyway, so it's the same difference. In relation to the travel, it's kind of, it's a pain in the ass. I'm not too sure too many people like it, but um, you have to get to the events, so it's just something you have to get over. And you went to Q School as an amateur. What was your thought process behind that? I still wasn't 100% sure Shane, if I was going to turn pro, so I, I was always planning on going that year to Q School. And then, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to see what it was like. I wanted to get a taste for it um, before I was to make the decision. So I played, I played okay in first stage. Um, I put it fairly okay, which kind of uh, always helps. And then second stage, <laughs> nothing went right. <laughs> nothing went right at all. I spent more time in the clubhouse looking out at the wind blowing than I did playing, but no, still no excuse. I wasn't. I didn't play well at all that week. And Robin Dawson said that professional golf is an expensive hobby, and you were going to Q School as an amateur. You hadn't signed any sponsorship deals. How did you fund that? Did that come out of your own pocket? Yeah, well, lucky enough, it comes out of mum and dad's pocket because I didn't have anything. So, uh, no, they've always been really good to me. And um, dad was. I actually wasn't a hundred percent sure on where to go because again, I wouldn't. I didn't necessarily want to be kind of say I, I really want to go and then my parents would have to pay for it but that was like why wouldn't you go? be stupid not to go so they're very good to me like, they're really good to me a big shout out to them so you wouldn't be where you are without them yeah absolutely I have to answer the phone when he rings and that was your first experience of Q School was there anyone that you contacted that had previous experience there yeah so I was I was talking a bit with Dave Morton with the Pro and Galway he made it to final. He'd been to Q school, I think, five or six or seven times or something. I made the final stage two or three times. 
So he was he was a good man to talk to. There's another guy in our golf club, Stephen Keenan. He was on the Challenge Tour for a few years. And I'm fairly sure I talked to a couple others about it as well. But um, they all kind of, they all pretty much said the same thing to me. First stage was about keeping it in play. And second stage is obviously about keeping it in play, but that's when the standard jumps up two or three or four levels because all the, the Challenge Tour players come back. And I know if some guys on the European Tour have a really poor year, they have to, they have to go as well. So. But the standard, huge jump. Took a huge jump in second stage. So. so you'd great success in college events, as you previously mentioned earlier. And then you went on to prepare for men's golf and you said it was mindset. How did you prepare for Q School that you were now entering kind of the paid ranks and you were competing with professionals? Yeah, so that's one of the obstacles um, that I've kind of been. I was wondering, so like you were saying, when I made the step from boys golf to men's golf, I had to kind of, had to, I had to mentally take a couple of steps. And then I was wondering what I have to do that again to play professional golf. But I didn't, well, so far I didn't feel I had to. I just got so in my own bubble that it didn't matter who I was playing with or what event I was playing in. I was so focused on what I was doing, how I could prepare, what shape shots I was hitting, what was the course like, things like that, that I didn't care who was there, who was watching, what tournament was there, what I was playing. And you mentioned earlier that you are quite analytical about the game. And then with the advice you got that keeping it in play for stage one was critical. Uh, just talk us through your course management. Would you say it's one of your assets? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And one thing that's really helped me, like I, I, I would have felt I was very good at course management. And um, one of my friends, uh, Liam Graham, was talking to me probably December time. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm using this new stat system. I think you should have a look at it. And I have been terrible for doing my stats. But in college, I was shocking for it. And um, uh, he said, you, you should have a look at it. It's called Decade Golf. And I said, all right, okay, I've heard of it before. So I looked into it. I was like, no, it seems really interesting. And then I got on to the, the guy who created it, Scott Fawcett, and I was talking to him. So he's actually, I haven't done a huge amount of work with him yet because obviously our season hasn't really got going. But um, I'm planning on doing a little bit of work with him uh, in, the, in the coming months. So hopefully course management gets slightly better. But I would say, in relation to the question you asked, um, my wedge play is my strongest. So anytime I can kind of get a wedge in my hand, I feel really comfortable. I know my urges quite well. And um, that's be, that'd be one of the uh, most important things for me. I wouldn't be the longest. So anytime I can get a wedge in my hand, I, I feel I can shoot a decent score. And you went to Q School for the European Tour and the Alps Tour. What would you say your biggest takeaways from that? And what did you learn about yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. My biggest takeaways. As a whole... Um, it's a good one. I wrote down on the way home from both. I wrote down a whole lot of notes in my uh, in my phone, but they were more about kind of shots I hit, misses, things like that. Uh, which side I was missing predominantly on, and um, about the grasses and things like that. But as a whole, not a huge amount. I didn't feel. Now again, I didn't make it to the the latter stages of uh, European Tour Q School, but I didn't really feel I was out of my depth by any means. Um, like I said, I played terrible in the second stage, so it was, it was kind of hard to know. But in uh, no, I didn't. I didn't really feel like I was out of it. I wasn't kind of put off by who I was playing with or anything like that. So I, I was happy enough on that side of things. And you speak of their coming home, and you were taking notes about where you could have improved on, what went well, what didn't. 
would you say in your golf career to date you're someone that dwells on the bad days or do you find it easy to eradicate them from your mind that's definitely one of my biggest weaknesses i'd be think i could be thinking about it for weeks and months afterwards there's still putts i've missed against certain people i still think about years ago so i'm i'm not good at that but i think sometimes that can kind of i don't know some days you don't want to go and practice you might think of that i can't do that again so that it might give you a little kick in the ass to go out and practice things like that so and um, I don't always think it's a bad thing, but definitely, I think the quicker you can get over the the kind of uh, the dips, the better. When you signed up to go to the Alps Tour Q School, you turned professional. What was your thinking behind that, making the transition into the pro game just before that Q School? Yeah, so it was kind of a funny time to go, but um, I was eligible for the Team Golf Ireland grant. And that gives you a number of starts in the Challenge Tour, financial support, um, access to Neil Manship and things like that. And I was I was fairly set I was going to turn pro then anyway. I was talking to a few sponsors at the time, so um, you had to to avail that that um, the team Ireland grant. You had to be professional anyway. But like I said, I was talking to a few uh, other sponsors at that time, so I was fairly sure I was going to turn pro then anyway. And after going to Alps Tour Q School, and you got your card there for this year and got playing privileges, but looking at twenty nineteen as a whole. You played, or sorry, I previously heard you say you played for 12 months straight. How did you find that? Do you think that was stressful or do you think it's tough to kind of give yourself that break from golf? Yeah, no, it is tough. I think the the better standards you get as an amateur, the more golf you have to play. So when I would have just played men's golf, I would have played Irish championships. And then as I got a bit better, you have to play a couple of events abroad. And then as you get a bit better, you have all the events abroad, all the events at home. And a few team events, and then just stayed adding that, and then obviously I played Q school as well, so it stays going. It was a tough. That's one thing I definitely felt in second stage that I could feel it. It was more mentally than physically that it was a little bit draining. Now, like I said, there was a few things, different bits involved with the the conditions, things like that, which wouldn't have helped. But maybe it was. It, it's really hard to know, but I'd imagine it didn't really help because usually when you play, especially in the summer in Ireland, it's go go go. You kind of burst yourself for about 12 weeks and then it tapers off a little bit but like I said I went straight into Q schools. So. And just after Christmas you had like a period of waiting before your first Alps Tour event. How did you prepare for that? It was probably your longest spell without playing competitive golf. Yeah so it wasn't that easy so I think for part of that spell I had the flu and I had tonsillitis so that took up some of it and then for the first event in Egypt I went out there 10 days early. So I did a practice week. I was I actually had something set up in Dubai to go over, but then from to get from Dubai to Egypt was logistically was really tough. So um I have that in hold. I might do that this year. But um I went out to get a practice week. I got ten practice rounds. So I was well prepared by the time we played. So I think it was good. In your first event as a professional in Egypt, you finish in a tie for thirteenth. How did you feel? Were you happy with your first performance as a pro? It was okay. I'd say it was no better than okay, or no worse than okay. Yeah, again, I didn't feel didn't feel all that uncomfortable. I didn't feel put off by anything. The people I was playing, the events I was playing, it didn't bother me at all. So I was more happy with that than kind of how I played or the scores I shot and things like that. But yeah, it, it was fine. It was a, it was an all right start, but I, I'm hoping for a little bit better. And back in 2018, while still an amateur, you had the opportunity to play in Galgarm Castle on the Challenge Tour. And you talked about after that event, you spoke with Cormac Sharvin that there were some crazy high numbers and tough conditions. And recently we were chatting with Conor O'Rourke and he said that you have to get more aggressive as in the lower tours, 
the prize funds are so top heavy. Have you got more aggressive in your game in the last 12 to 18 months? Yeah, so that's actually something I was learning with, with decade stuff. Um, there's like, there's the right way to be aggressive. And it's something that when I look back on when Scott, the, the guy who runs decade, was talking to me about um, how he breaks down golf courses and things like that. For some reason, that tournament was the first thing that popped in my head. And I thought about the way I was going about playing was quite smart, but really it wasn't. I was kind of playing away from pins a lot, uh, which was fine. But then off the tee, I was like, anytime there was any sort of a hazard, I was laying up well short of it, which was really just making it too awkward on myself. So there was, um, I definitely didn't go about playing that the right way. So there's, there's definitely been aggressive, but there's probably you know, there's a smart way to be aggressive. It's not just go at everything and smash driver everywhere. And after talking with Scott, you said about breaking down courses and how you do it. So just looking when things do hopefully get back to normal soon, what would be your preparation of a typical week? Would it be play one practice round, play two practice rounds, or would you just walk the course? Yeah, so 90% of the courses I'm going to play this year won't be in Ireland, so I won't have played them before, generally. Um, so I'll get over there. If So we were supposed to be over there in Egypt. We were supposed to be playing three different events. There was three events in a row. So I would have been over there four days before and would have played a pra- one practice round on each. But generally what I'd like to do is for one event if I was just playing one course I'd get over there three days before play 18 holes and then play nine holes the next day that's what I'd like to do and going for each tournament are you someone that marks out the hazards and places to avoid or is it kind of like you know keep the bad things out of your head as much as you can yeah I would say mark out the hazards I'd more mark out a yardage on the fair I'd want to hit it to so if it's driver obviously that's fine smash down there as far as you can but if it's if it's anything less I'd say I want to play to 200 yards because some days that might be a three with it's into a strong wind or some days that might be a six iron seven iron whatever it might be so i just played to certain points on the off course but no i wouldn't be saying oh avoid that on the left that'd be that'd be one of the last things you want to be saying and obviously angst or hazards bring a bit of anxiety but also you're part of team ireland golf now and you get a number of invites on the challenge tour is that kind of an anxious way to see when those will come about and when those opportunities will arise for you? Yeah, no, it's actually brilliant. So we, we get the, they ask us at the start of the year, do you have any preferences? And then they give it to us. I got mine in February, I think. So I know exactly what I'll be playing. Um, obviously not this year, but hopefully next year. Um, so no, you can prepare for them as far in advance as, as February was for me this year. So. And are you someone that needs a date to kick yourself into gear and get practicing hard again? Or do you find it okay just to tip away and wait till that date comes around to start tournament golf again? Um, no, obviously I like the date. I like knowing the date, but I don't ever really stop playing golf. I, I couldn't take more than like two days off. It's what I've done from since I was so young. So it's, it's, so, it's like so unnatural to take uh, more than a couple of days off. So um, I'm, always, I'm always sitting around doing something. And you've now entered the paid ranks and essentially that is a business, you're self-employed. And you talk about the impact that your father has and you know you bounce ideas off him and you recently set out a business plan. And obviously you need goals. If you don't have goals, there's nothing to attain or you're not going to try and better yourself. But do you think it's easy to put too much pressure on yourself and try and force things? Yeah, yeah, it probably is. Um, in relation to the goals, yeah. You could, like, there's kind of like process goals and then there's like, I want to. I want to win this year. I want to win twice next year. I want to be on the European Tour in five years' time. So there's there's different types of goals you could set out. So 
obviously everyone wants to win, everyone wants to play really well, but uh, one of my main goals was kind of like to improve my stroke average this year. So the lower that comes, hopefully the results follow after that. Thanks very much for your time today, Ronan. We hope you reach those stated goals and have a chat with you once that does happen. But before we leave you go, we got a few questions we got to ask you. Okay. Do you prefer links or parkland? Parkland. Practice on the range or on the course? Probably the course. And what age did you reach scratch? 17. And your best golf memory to date? Um, best golf memory to date? Uh, losing to Cottle Butler in the South first round last year. <laughs> on the 19th, does it? <laughs> on the 19th. I'm sure he's told you. <laughs> and the best Irish player you played with? That's a good one. Um, that's a toss-up between two. And one of them doesn't play anymore. She's such a pity. Um, Keelan and Jack Hume. Well, thank you very much for your time today. It was great to chat with you. And hopefully we'll have you on again in the coming months when things do kickstart again and you have a bit of competitive golf under your belt. Perfect. Shane, thanks a for that. Oh, thank you very much, Ronan. As this was recorded a number of weeks ago, unfortunately, we were unable to ask Ronan how his first few rounds fared out on the golf course. But we've no doubt they were pretty up to standard and there wasn't too many cobwebs to dust off as he's been practicing hard in his homemade purpose-built shed. So Ronan, we'd just like to say a huge thank you again for your time. It was great fun chatting all things golf, from your win in Ballybunion, transitioning to Q School, and now life as a professional golfer. One thing that really stood out to me was your analytical thinking, and your use of course management as basically your 15th club to gain an advantage and know exactly how best to take apart the golf course. So thank you again, it was great fun. And one last thing, it is not too late to sign up for the Talk Birdie to Me Challenge. It's only your best five rounds between now and June 22nd. So tell your friends and be sure to sign up. And also, if anyone is in a position to sponsor any prize, no matter how big or small, we would really appreciate it. So thank you very much. Chat soon. And please, Talk Birdie to Me.